So when you see these top players who are just out there playing, they're playing. Like, they're, let's not forget we play hockey, right? As much as it's a job, like, we, we play hockey. And it's important to remember that it, it's supposed to be play-based because that's where you can really access that artistic side of your brain and 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 be become uh you know become the master of your own of your own domain in that regard so it's like it definitely starts with a mindset and then there's got to be a consistent approach to that that doesn't mean you don't go in the gym that means when all that means is when you're in the gym you're focused on being in the gym then when you're done the gym you're focused on your recovery when you're in practice you're focused on getting better you have a specific you know set to get better it also means like if something bad happens if you have a bad shift or a bad game or a bad year or a bunch of injuries which you know i had a million You've got it. You've got to be able to just keep resetting. That was 14-year NHL veteran Andy Sutton, and you're listening to the Up My Hockey Podcast with Jason Podolan. Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games but thought he was destined for a 1,000. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back to the Up My Hockey podcast for episode number 55. We have 54 episodes in the book already, and we're hitting number 55. It just blows me away every single time. Um, and this might be your first podcast, uh, your first time here listening to Up My Hockey. And if it is, welcome. Uh, love new listeners. Hope you really enjoy this one and you stick around. Uh, if you haven't already, definitely subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. Uh, a lot of people don't understand how the podcast world works. It goes off downloads. So downloads is what is like the most important thing for podcast hosts like myself because that is what gets tracked. You know, you can stream an episode, but that actually means nothing to the stats of the podcast. So uh, podcasters are always asking you to subscribe because then that episode goes onto your device. And obviously, hopefully you listen to it. I'd love you to listen to all of them. Uh, but even if you don't listen to it and it gets downloaded, you can always erase it And um, if you don't plan on listening to it. So a subscription is amazing. Uh, it means that the episode gets downloaded and I appreciate you for that. The downloads uh, just recognize the popularity of the episode. And when the episode get, gains more popularity, it gets recommended to more people, which means more people have eyes on it and more people have a chance to see it. So we are trying to grow this podcast uh, strictly from the organic uh, realm, which means, you know, word of mouth, which means people talking about it, sharing it on their social media platforms or in their inner circles. And also from the podcast platforms, they recommending it to other people. So that happens with downloads and that happens with reviews. So uh, if, you are, if you are a longtime listener who hasn't yet uh, left a review, and I know there are a lot of you, um, you'd be doing the podcast a huge favor. Um, the athletes who haven't yet listened to this podcast a huge favor because your review means that they're more likely to see it. So that would be amazing. <clears throat> um, as far as today's episode, we are talking with Andy Sutton. Andy is a 14-year NHL veteran, uh, played on, geez, six, seven, eight teams, uh, but what, well, which is massively impressive, uh, one, to play over 600 games in the NHL. Uh, Andy's a big boy, 6'6", 250 pounds when he played. He was a stay-at-home defenseman that, you know, took care of business in front of his net and tried to keep the puck out, uh, also would drop the gloves when he had to. But um, as impressive as that is, what really impressed me with Andy's story is 
his genesis story of becoming an NHL player. Uh, he did not take the typical path. I love how everyone has a different way to get to be a professional or to get to be an NHLer. And, and Andy's is really special from scoring six goals in three combined years in Division One hockey, uh, getting signed to a partial scholarship. Uh, he blossomed in his senior year after transitioning to D. Um, he was not a defenseman as, when he got uh, recruited, turned into a defenseman during his time at university, and then had 14 different NHL teams lined up to give him a contract at the end of his senior year, and it can happen that fast. So a uh, really cool story. We get into all that. Uh, Andy is happens to be, without me even knowing, like essentially an advertisement for what I do with mindset. We, we talk quite extensively about mindset and what... Uh, the mental approach means to athletes these days, how it helped him, um, some of the different skills that he used uh, to generate to get himself through uh, the NHL seasons and his NHL trades and his injuries. And, uh, and yeah, so we have, uh, we have really good talks about mindset, about gratitude, mental toughness, so on and so forth. So I think you're going to enjoy this one. It's a good introduction if it's your first one. Uh, if this is uh, episode number 55 for you and you've listened to all 54 before, um, you're going to get more of what you love, which is some authentic conversation uh, from real people about a game that we love and, and what it takes to be great within it. So uh, without further ado, I bring you my friend, uh, Andy Sutton. All right, Mr. Sutton, it looks like we're live here for episode 55 of the Up My Hockey podcast. And uh, guest today is Andy Sutton, longtime NHLer, 14 seasons, um, but someone who came from what looks like some humble beginnings. And I want to get into that today. But uh, thanks for joining us here, Andy. No, it's my pleasure, Jason. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, this show, this show, as you know, it, it's about it's about the journey and uh and, you know, we, we've gotten in, in touch because of, you know, Verbero there over the last little while. And in doing that, I was able to, to dig in a little bit on, on your story. And I and I looks like it's an awesome story, um, to be quite honest, to, to end up to end up being in the NHL for as long as you were from uh, kind of where you came from, I think is super cool and inspiring, probably. So why don't you walk us through like what, you know, what was minor hockey like for you and was it was, uh, you know, your exposure, I know like the typical question there to get us going, but, uh, you know, what was that like the, uh, you know, the, the Genesis story of Andy Sutton in the game? Oh man, right out of the gate, safe roads. Um, but it, it was, it's, you know, like everything, I think all roads lead to Rome. It's been a, it, I think it's an interesting story. I get kind of like, like a lot of things it kind of, it, it goes and it comes back around and, and you, you know, if you're, I think if we're succeeding in life, we're able to kind of take those pieces and, and hopefully get better and evolve through our process. But like my, you know, minor hockey, I, I started, I was started as a defenseman. I don't know why, maybe I was tall, you know, for my age as a kid. And then, um, you know, I was sc scoring a lot of points there. So I think at 11 or 12, they decided to move me to forward, which, you know, in, in hindsight was good, maybe bad. I don't know. You know, I got to obviously focus on more of the offensive side of the game for the, the next, not the, the next like seven years. Right. So I got a scholarship to Michigan. Well, it was probably before that. I mean, I didn't make my midget team. Uh, so I went and played, I went and played tier two junior B with, with men with mustaches and jobs and baby mama drama and the whole deal. So that was a, you know, at, at uh, you know, I really at 15 and 16, I did that. And so then, talk about that. So you you had you had different aspirations, though. So you wanted to play on this midget team, um, go to camp, do the thing, and and that doesn't work out for you. So then you had 
Was that, do you think that was the right call at that point? Like, did you feel like, man, I should have made that team. Someone screwed me or how did you leave feel in that environment? No, I was, you know, I was a, I was a bit of a late bloomer. Like I think I was a little late to the party, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I probably started maturing a little bit later than some guys. So I think I got kind of left in the, by the wayside there, like around 14, 15, 16, I think I was behind the curve. And I think that, you know, that didn't necessarily help with confidence either, which is so important when you're playing obviously. And, um, so actually like, you know, getting a chance to go play with those, with those much older players, I think, you know, set the stage for me getting used to some other things downstream, you know, so, you know, I, and I had a great coach there named Wilf Johnson that was, was uh, an amazing part of my life, you know, at that time, I think in that team, because I was the youngest player by far on the team, they, they really took me under their wing and, and, and taught me things and took care of me and, um, really treat, treated me well. So that, that kind of, you know, set the stage out of there. And I, I got to play in a, in a summer tournament series, um, for this sort of select team and went into the tournament and I was never really a fighter, like in junior B, I was a young guy, like I, I sure had gotten a few, but it was never a thing. And then I, I got in a scrap with, with this guy who was like an OH, he was like an OHL draft pick and he picked a fight with me the first game. And I absolutely lambasted him in this tournament. And the thing was like all the other teams were watching, right? So uh, the rest of the rest of the tournament, like nobody came within five feet of me. I think I won, you know, best player in the tournament or whatever, scored a bunch of goals. And um, there was a man named Dave Barrett who happened to be there watching the event. He was scouting for Saint, the then St. Michael's Buzzers, the tier two team. So okay. I got invited to go play at St. Mike's, which at the time, uh, you know, was one of, if not the preeminent school to go to, if you were going to try to get a scholarship, which for me sounded like the perfect recipe. Like, I don't, I don't think truthfully, like I always probably had aspirations to play in the NHL. But, I mean, I, I had to accept a partial scholarship to go play at Michigan tech. Um, I got a scholarship as a forward, they with the NHL lockout of 94, 95, Pierre Paget was in with the club, uh, kind of doing just, he was friends with our coach, Bob Mancini, who's the d director of USA hockey now, but, um, Pierre came in and, and, you know, spent two weeks with our club and gave assessments on every, every player. And when he left, um, Mancini called me into his office. He said, you want to hear what, what Pierre had to say about you? I'm like, yeah, sure. Of course. He said, try, try Sutton at the fence. So I was like, he's like, what do you think? And to that point, like I, I had a very lackluster freshman year. I wasn't doing much of anything my sophomore year to that point. And uh, I said, sure, let's let's go for it. So I immediately made the switch. And as you can imagine, that was probably there were probably some growing pains there. And the junior year I had an injury and it never really you know went that well for me. And I had an internship offer with the U.S. Navy summer before my senior year. And at this point, I was like, I'm honestly thinking like, man, if I play a couple of years, like bump around on the coast or go play somewhere like for a couple of years, I'll be probably happy and I'll just go back to school or, or start to work or whatever. I, I never really at that point thought it was even possible to play in the NHL or even really for a you long know what? time. I, I'm going to start because I mean, I totally want to get into that year and I want you and I because it's a crazy jump and then everything that happened. But like, can, can we go back a little bit though? Because like, I don't want to fast forward through that stuff because I, like a lot of the people that are listening now, like that's, th those are big decisions right there. You know, like to not make that, to not make that midget team and then to make that choice to go to junior B, which some people would classify as, as death, you know, like you don't want to be there doing that, you know, um, how did that decision get made even instead of playing, like say on the second tier midget team, like wh who was in your corner and what was that discussion like to say, you know, this is the best idea for us is to go junior B. You know, I, I'm going to have to ask my dad about that because I honestly, I don't remember anything but that that was where we were going to go. And 
I don't know what the decision was. You know, maybe it was just a, like flat out that it was the first time I'd ever not made the AAA club. And I was just like, well, I'm not going to go play double A. I'll figure something else out. And I've always kind of been that way. Like I've always, I've never been afraid to, to push a new frontier. I've never been afraid of challenge. My ambition is, is, you know, has been reckless at times, I would say in my life, but I, I, I almost always figure it out. You know, I, I've, I haven't met a situation that I haven't been able to, 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 to figure out. So in that regard, like I like to push the limits and I think that's part of like where this all started to breed inside me. Right. Like you start to by necessity, right. How many amazing things are grown by necessity? Yeah. Um, so I think that was the case, you know, when I got to get in there with men who, had a whole different way of looking at things, different way of playing. It was a different style of play. And I think- How old are you, know, you at this point? I'm, 15, I'm 15. First okay, year. Okay, so you're 15 playing junior B. Are you yeah. billeting? No, I'm living at home. My my dad my dad didn't even want me on the bus because the guys would have beers after the game and stuff, right? So he'd actually drive, he'd actually follow the bus and drive me to and from every game, right? And so he's driving Come me all, all, all over Eastern Ontario, yeah, take, taking great great care of me. And, um, you know, he, he always did. He, he, he was He was- I mean, in my corner all every step of the way, you know. Um, so you, I, I would assume, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you must have been fighting that tooth and nail. I mean, like, because you want to be accepted and be part of the boys. And not necessarily that that means having a beer on the bus, but you want to, I assume you want to be on the bus with the guys, right? Yeah, I did. And, and I, he'd let me take the bus sometimes and other times. I don't know what the distinction was or like what all was going on. I, I'm going to ask him about this now that, now that you bring it up because I haven't had a chance to dive back with him. It was a, it was a, it was a really, uh, interesting time a, a big growth phase for me and then i think you know if I, if i hadn't done that you know maybe i wouldn't have got to go to that you know that summer tournament maybe i wouldn't have learned how to you know handle myself a little bit in, the, in a few of the fights i got in in junior b because you know you know how that is those games can get out of hand i mean it can be crazy i mean yeah, you go into yeah. like uh trying to think of what the one there's one rink in particular i can't remember which team as you go in, it's like the smallest arena you've ever played in and they were like a big physical team. Like, so you go in there, you're just, ter- you're just terrified. You know, you're like yeah. 15, 16 years old. These these guys are chasing you all over the ice. But um, so I, and those those experiences harden, they harden you a little bit, you know, and, and, and prepare you. And then, uh, you know, really the, um, you know, the time at Michigan Tech was invaluable for me. And thankfully, I was able to convert, you know, the, the detriment side of, of my scholarship, which was a partial scholarship on, on uh, you know, academic. Yeah, but junior B, so I'm going to cut in again, but it's junior B. So you go from junior B and, and play well enough there or get invited to that event. Um, yeah. And I can relate to that, by the way, because I was 15 playing junior A, though, in uh, in BC, in the BCHL, right? So I was playing with Paul Correa um, that year, uh, was on the team. A couple other pretty good players were on that team, too. And I was 15. There was like two of us in the entire league, I think, maybe three, yeah. right? So... Yeah. Um, I was trying to decide between playing second year Bantam or mm-hmm. playing, you know, or playing junior A, right? I was listed by Spokane at the time. So it was, that was a big decision, right? Like where to play. And then, and, and why, why I think it's, it's worth chatting about is just because of that. You mentioned men, right? And, and for those listening, you, you're being 15 and in grade 10 <laughs> is a heck of a lot different than being 20 and out of school for two years, you know, yeah. like. You know, and, and there were guys in our team like that, and the league was like that too. And it was, you know, not that it was a, a jungle, the league, but there was definitely fights. You know, I mean, I got I got in three fights, I think, that year. It was my first three fights um, playing against guys that were 50, 60, 70 pounds heavier than me, right? You know, like um, with beards and the whole nine yards, not to mention the rookie stuff that goes on in that, you know, in that, in that time frame. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it makes you grow up. I don't know, like, how were you from a maturity standpoint? Like, did you feel like you were ready for that? Was that a good thing that you needed, or maybe was it too much too soon? 
I, I think that honestly, in retrospect, I was probably a little soft. Like I probably needed it, you know, I, and maybe that's where my dad gave me a nudge and he, he had known Wilf a little bit. So maybe there was a conversation that I'm going to find out after this call. Now I'm really curious, but I, you know, I, I think that, that, I think I needed that experience like to toughen me up a little bit. Cause I think sometimes when you, and I'm not saying in general, but like, I can imagine a young player who, especially like, you know, and the same for you, like you, you're, you're really good, you know, we're good at young age and you come up through AAA program, you kind of got a silver spoon in your mouth. I mean, truthfully, I mean, everything's done for you. Your family drives you all around. It's expensive. You haven't really mostly had to suffer too many hard knocks where you've had to like go and figure out something new, right? Like those points where, and really like every time in my life where I've been confronted with those types of things, and that's where growth occurs. I mean, anytime you're, you put yourself in a situation, you find out what you're made of, like you find out, what, you know, what you're made of, what you extract from it, you know, and, and hopefully you come out a better, better version. So like, I, I look at that, I look at that time in my life and I say this to people all the time, be like, you know, and I've been doing business for a while now, but then, you know, I would say when I, when I retired, I'd say like, you know, I've been doing business for a really long time because you make these decisions. And when hockey became, you know, became my, the business of my life, well, shit, I've been doing business for, for years because you're always kind of navigating, you know, best case scenario. You're trying to find a way to fit in, find a, find a way to carve out a role for yourself and identity, you know, finding out other ways in which you can get better within that. But then lo and behold, it like, it'll change again, you know, so to, to endure and play as long as we did, you got to wear a lot of hats. You've got to be, uh, you got to be willing to, to do all the stuff. And I don't think I would have been able to do that to the same degree if I hadn't challenged myself. I hadn't left to go to a, you know, school in the middle of nowhere. If I hadn't, you know, gone and played junior B in Gananoque. And, and thankfully I had some great people that, that, and great coaches along the way that were able to care for me as well. So, yeah, so you're in junior B, you get, you, 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 you knock this guy out at this elite camp. Somebody sees you, um, St. Mike's grabs you, which at that point, like what level is that? That's the junior A level. Tier, tier two, I think they called it tier two junior A back then. And right. it's like, so, you know, a lot of guys were going out. from there to, uh, to the university routes. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. kind of at the time. I mean, you're looking like early nineties. Like that was really when I think really when scholarships became a very attractive option and people started to think like, well, this is a great way to go. And then lo and behold, like we see the evolution of that. Right. And the bottom line is nowadays, if you're a if you're a great player or if you can evolve into becoming a great player, like people, they're going to find you. It's easier than ever to find people. Right. So I say to every parent now that I talk to, I'm like, uh, as great as major junior can be for some guys, like in a lot of ways, I feel like you're missing out on a life experience that, that really can help, set the stage for you for the rest of your life outside, because that's the next thing, like going to school and I studied engineering during school. So like, you know, again, lofty ambition, but at the same point in time, like it made me, I had to carry a, you know, an, edu an education in engineering while I was trying to play division one hockey. Again, like another massive, like hardening event, because it's, it's, it's no joke. I mean, it, you have no, you have no space for error. You've got to be super focused in what you're doing well balanced. And then you still, you know, you still want to be at the, at the frat parties and the sorority parties and doing all this stuff. So it, I think it teaches you that balance and then coming out the other side of it. Like I don't necessarily use my edu edu engineering education, but at the same point in time, like I think the critical thinking that I was able to, to learn while I was there help, helps me every day and everything I'm yeah, doing. Cool. So all these, all the things kind of connect, you know, in the, in the end. Yeah, no, I like talking with, uh, with college guys because the one thing there's very few, and I have had a couple on the program that have been able to experience both major junior and, and university. Obviously it's the guys that go from university back to major junior because you can't go the other way. Um, so maybe they're a little bit biased because they've left, you know, the university system to come to major junior for, for something that wasn't working out for them. But, um, 
I would really like to have gone there. I mean, I was I was a really good student. I was recruited by you know Ivy League schools, um, you know, and and I mean at at fourteen, fifteen, like the best that they could do. You know what I mean, like at the time. But I had my heart set on Spokane, uh, and ended up going to Spokane, and 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 those were the most you know those are your formative years, right? I mean, getting into now university, like I totally remember that time of my life more than any other time and during pro hockey for sure you know like from a to a granular level and and I wouldn't change that experience and it wasn't all roses by all me by any means right there was a lot of ups and downs and a lot of learning but I I totally did love that experience so I wouldn't trade that in I love being a Spokane chief but I would love to have been able to experience university I, yeah. I mean I, I not because there's anything wrong with major junior but I just think that that environment and then looking back on my own career because I was, and which is, I want to talk with you about. You're arriving on the scene at 22, almost at that age. I was like almost cast off as being like I'm not a pro, you know. Like it, so, you do have to start. You enter the game earlier, right? You enter the game earlier, and then there's a lot of a lot of these uh, labels and stuff that gets that gets passed on you. But um, I just want to go back. So you're at St. Mike's. How many years were you at St. Mike's? Just the, just the one season. I think okay, I signed. So you had a pretty good season from a point standpoint. Did you did you know and and quite a few pims too? Like, did you did you kind of have an idea of, of who you were as a player at that point? You know, by that point in time, like I'd started to I'd started to like fill into my to my size. You know, because I, I I grew. I think I grew. You know, when I was I think fifteen. I think I grew like seven inches in a calendar year. Took me like a year or two to like catch up with my body, figure out like which, you know, what I was doing. I lost, you know, and that that took a lot of the fun out of it for me, you know, like as you're used to being good and contributing, and then I was just I was fighting my body, you know, and 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 just the, my own personal development. So, and you don't know that at the time, like you don't know that that's yeah. what's happening. You just think what's happening to me, you know. Um, so yeah, the the time at St. Mike's, kind of, I think it kind of it's started to kind of come back together, where I started to get some relative control. I had definitely felt like I had a bit of an identity in the game, and like that's so important because I'd say this to people all the time: like if you don't know what you are, your coach's staff isn't going to know what you are, and that's the thing that drives them the craziest. They all they want to know is exactly what you're going to do on the wing, or I'm going to do on defense, right? To, to so that they can put the put the put the plan together, right? So it's so it's so imperative to have that to have that you know self belief and then de and definition and then working towards. The consistency that I think every team wants, because I, th I think that I, you know, you and I both probably played a lot of amazing players that were like it was always like lightning in a ball, and you'd see, I'd see it so often when guys would get called up, like a top tier player, they'd have a few good games, and then all of a sudden it would just it would literally go like like tank right off. Because they're super excited, two three games, it's just not sustainable. To to sustain it, you've got to have like a very a very assur assured uh, identity, and I think all of those things along the way like help you help you identify that and carve that out for yourself. Yeah, it's interesting because there's, I think there's a personal element to that, meaning, you know, who you are as a person and being comfortable with that and then figuring that out as far as a, a player is concerned. And when you're trying to juggle both, um, that's really hard, you know, especially at the pro level, because what I mean by that is what we've already touched on is like when you go into those new locker rooms, you know, you're trying to navigate that space as a person, right? Mm -hmm. Yet you're playing hockey, right? So you're with all these different personalities and like, how do I fit in here? Because I mean, sometimes it's an older team, sometimes it's a younger team. Sometimes, you know, like who knows what that looks like. And you gotta be strong enough with whoever it is you are. And then you gotta impress the coach from it is from a player standpoint. And and I just I like talking about that stuff because I think that's the stuff that you know usually doesn't get talked about, you know, yeah. like 
that that fitting in you know what i mean which is why i think it's so wild that you were on you were behind the bus in the in the in the in your dad's vehicle yeah. that's super wild but so you got a partial scholarship was that um was that i, I mean i assume you you didn't turn down any full scholarships so that was just the way it was and and that was who who gave you something and off you went yeah and it came you know and, and I, I've, I've seen this time again in my life like a lot of a lot of times the I feel like the the thing if you're in a position to receive it the thing that sort of surfaces first is maybe the thing that's meant for you in a lot of ways you know and they were first to the table I had an opportunity to take a look at going to Brown we my family couldn't afford to send me to Brown um, it it's it, um, and I didn't want to wait like too much longer in the year because I, I can't remember which month I committed but it it, it took a, it took a little bit of time and then once it finally came I was like okay good this is the next piece. And my family was good with with you know putting up some putting up some money for the for the deficiency and the full full scholarship. And then thankfully I was able to make the dean's list in the first term, and I was able to convert the rest to to academics. So I ended oh, up good being on a, yeah, I ended up being on a full ride the entire time, which was obviously like a lot of pressure off my family. And then Mom you know, and dad felt, happy with that. Yeah, and it felt nice that I could I could contribute that back because at a certain point, you know, I started to feel. I started to feel not like certainly thankful, but like also, you know, maybe even guilty in a certain regard. Like your our families put up so so much of their time and money to like let us have this opportunity, um, you know. And then it feels really nice at that point to be like, okay, good, I've I've got this now, you know. Yeah. And then from there, I kind of you know I I kind of had it the rest of the way. So it was a that was a big piece for me. Tech tech was a big big piece for me, you know, because I I could go there. And, you know, even with the, you know, going from forward to defense, but I had, a, I had a space where I could, you know, and you practice hard all week, you have games on the weekend, you practice hard all week. So there's a real repetition to it. It was very like gym focused. So I could really get my body, you know, hardened, get my mind in the, in the right place. And, and then you have, you have to work the balance of things throughout the process, which I think is, is, is invaluable, you know, and I, I had, I had two great coaches. I really did. I mean, I had Bob Mancini, who who was a, who was an amazing coach, a very intense man, very great coach, and then and then Tim Waters came in, you know, longtime NHL defenseman, and and he 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 was the most passionate, one of the most passionate coaches I've ever had, and and you know, I think because of my role on the team and my sort of role escalating, he came in my junior year. So I, you know, the two years I had him, and by senior year, like I was I was his guy. So he invested a lot in me you know, teaching me a lot of things. And, and that was really only like my, you know, I'd only been a, a defenseman for a little over a year, you know, at that, at that point. So I needed, if, if I, he hadn't come in, I don't know what would have happened. Right. Long time NHL defenseman, like kind of, you know, fought in the trenches kind of guy, which is sort of how I patterned myself. And, and I, and in the, in the end, it ended up being a great relationship. Yeah. So first of all, I was to say, you know, well, welcome Andy Sutton. We are live here. Uh, part of the Up My Hockey podcast, which makes it special, is that I do bring it live sometimes. Um, so you can hear it either at Up My Hockey, uh, the parent group, or sometimes I put it on my personal channel. So that's we are live and there are people watching. So thanks so much for joining us today. We have 14 year NHL defense with Andy Sutton uh, with us today. And if you want to ask a question to Andy, uh, by all means, you know, throw it in the comment section. And uh, I like to include include those who uh, who want to watch. So uh, if you have anything for Annie throughout the conversation, please do. Um, and and for those of you listening too, like I mean, I'm sitting here with Andy's rap sheet, you know, the back of his hockey card sitting here in front of me. And uh, as a forward, Andy had two goals in 19 games as a as a freshman, uh, two goals in 32 games as a 
I guess it's called a sophomore, right? And then, uh, and then as a junior, two goals again in 32 games. But at this point, I think you are a defenseman, correct? Defenseman. Your last year, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and, and like, so speak to that. Like you said, you were, you were not thinking NHL aspirations. You weren't thinking 14 teams lined up to sign me in my my last year. You're thinking, what's after this? You know, how can I maybe use this? Uh, walk us, walk us through that point in in, in your life, like. Hockey was a vehicle for you to get education at that point was really what it was looking like, right? It was. And, you know, I, deep look, deep down, I always I always dreamed about it. And never, the dream never left me. And I, I would say and I would say if you asked anybody along the journey of my time at Tech, they'll any of the guys that went to school with me would say Andy was one of the hardest working guys in the gym. He had the you know, I, I, I was I was I was cr crazy about it. You know, like I really wanted to do it. I didn't. I didn't know if it was possible, truthfully, especially after that junior season, you know, and, and that, that pivot point, you know, that sliding doors moment where you get, you know, really offered a potential dream job, right? So I'm studying hard. I'm studying engineering in the U.S. Navy. I met a guy that, you know, that I obviously endeared myself to in some regard, and he offered me up an internship to go live in D.C. for the summer. Well, I decided to give it one last kick at the can. And you know, it wasn't because I stayed at school and, and trained hard that summer. That we're every, especially nowadays, everyone's in great shape. So it's not it's not about you know, it's not about the gym. The gym is part of it. It's part of your responsibility as an athlete to make sure your body's in in shape. It was my mind, you know, and and it was it was almost like okay, well, I don't know what's what's laying beyond this. And every time I've had this experience in my life where I you almost cast aside expectations and you just you just go out and you just you just be, you know, you you just you just you're just you're just you know com completely at one with the moment and not trying to get too far ahead or too far behind. And I don't know what happened that year if it was if it was that mindset or the stars aligning or what it was, but like everything I touched worked that year and I ended up I ended up winning defensive player of the year and I was named all American and I mean it went from very much nothing you know and no and no probably you know aspirations necessarily even to do more like I wasn't sure it was even possible to like partway through that year I was like this is really possible like this is really ha actually happening um and I think it really was Jason like be because I let it go like I I just let it go and I trusted my instincts I played through my instincts I um you know, I just, I embraced every moment and I knew like if it was going to be my last year, I was going to have a blast and I was going to be thankful for it. Um, and it just, it really just all aligned and to, you know, what you said, I mean, I was undrafted or right? I never got drafted in major junior. I never got drafted in NHL and I had 14 teams basically offer me, you know, for first round dollars, um, you know, come, coming out of my last game at tech, which was nuts. I mean, and, and you know, another, another big business yeah. decision down a little bit more money from the St. Louis Blues, who at the time had Chris Pronger and Al McInnes to go sign with the Sharks because they had a few older defensemen and Jeff Norton and Gary Suter and Bob Rouse. And I thought I had a faster track opportunity to get into the NHL. And these are the decisions that you start making before you even really understand what it is you're doing, you know? Yeah, right. And, and so you talked about like your your body, you know, that you were in shape, that you were always in shape, that you're always looking after your, your facility, you know, because you, you were wise enough to understand that. But that last year, it was more about your mind uh, and being able to let go. Uh, so those, I mean, I 100% agree with that. But and I don't want to put you on the spot. But how like how can someone listening like was there a conscious choice somewhere in that process? Was it like how did you apply that ability to do that? Like okay, I'm just going to let it go, or was it just something that organically happened? It's it's something that I in one 
one form or another, I've probably always been that I always think about. And and I would say I've had, you know, I've had dozens now probably of occurrences where just different things in my life have have uh, aligned where probably they were always meant to. And it's always been because I've made a choice to let go of expectation um, because ex expectation is a, is a killer. And then if you think about it, and I say this to people all the time, like if you're, if you're living in regret and remorse, which a lot of people do, you're living in the past. And if you're living in fear and anxiety, you're living in the future. So that's like, I'm worried about the game. I'm worried about my next shift. I'm worried about making mistakes. Am I going to, am I going to play for this you know better team next year? Am I going to elevate my position? And am I working hard enough? Am I eating the right food? Am I drinking enough water? Is my dad happy? You know, is my, what does my parents think about this? Like, and you can get, you can get in this vicious cycle of, of carrying all this stuff all the while it's so prohibitive for a myriad of reasons. But the other thing is when, when you start to understand that your unconscious mind. So now you're talking about, and I'm not, I'm talking more like be, playing instinctually and just being instinctual as a human, because at a certain point you've got enough of a skill set to where if you're truthfully trusting in yourself and you can process from your unconscious mind, you can process thought at like 10,000 times the speed of your conscious mind. So when you see these top players who are just out there playing, they're playing like don't stop forget we play hockey right as much as it's a job like we we play hockey and it's important to remember that it, it's supposed to be play based because that's where you can really access that artistic side of your brain and 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 be become uh you know you become the master of your own of your own domain in that regard so it's like it definitely starts with a mindset and then there's got to be a consistent approach to that that doesn't mean you don't go in the gym that means when all that means is when you're in the gym you're focused on being in the gym then when you're done the gym you're focused on your recovery when you're in practice you're focused on getting better you have a specific you know set to get better it also means like if something bad happens if you have a bad shift or a bad game or a bad year or a bunch of injuries which you know i had a million You've got it. You've got to be able to just keep resetting, right? To be able to be able to go back and 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 restore yourself, um, you know. And you, you you've got to be more like a you got to be more like the family dog, you know. Like you can you can leave your dog at home all day and with no food, no water, and they're still going to come and lick you and shit, you know, wag their tail when they come and see you. Just they they're so pre they're so present. They're not living in like oh you left me here all day, you know. Like I don't need food and water. We've got to be more like that as athletes in some regard. Like you've got to be able to just live in the now, like the right now the next shift is not guaranteed the next game, you know, the next year, anything. And then the shift before it falls away, but you know, behind your heels, I mean, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Literally nothing except learn from it. Right. So your responsibility in that moment is like, okay, I've, I've got to learn from this. I got to, I should do this differently. And then you've got to go forward because you know, the thing is like, if you're, if you're being put out for the next shift, if you're still in, you know, thinking about the mistake you made the shift prior, you're, you're, you're done. You're going to compound your errors coach is going to bench you, you're going to be pulled out of the lineup. It's just, it's a, it's a downward spiral. So I think just, you know, trying to work on that, like that mindfulness and, and, and just being omnipresent in your own journey and experience is the most important thing that an athlete, especially a young athlete can focus on. And I think it's the most important thing that a parent can help their son or daughter with to try to just be appreciative for the very moment that you're in, do your best. Certainly because that's, a, that's a prerequisite, but then outside of, outside of that, you kind of just have to let it all fall away, you know, because if you're, if you're doing your best and being honest about it, right. And then you're, you're, you're caring for other people, you know, which means on and off the ice, what, what else is there really, you know, have a good time, right? <laughs> Cause it's, it's play. We're supposed to be playing. We're supposed to be having a good time which we forget about, you know, and I think, I mean, I, I think that's really well said because that's one thing that I talk about and teach and coach is, is that ability, the perspective, right? The ability of perspective. 
um, combined with intention, which you talked about at the very beginning there, like, you know, not, the intention is like granular, singular and not, and not this big bandwidth of things, right? So you're going into the gym, what are you trying to accomplish in there, right? You're in the moment in that space doing that thing, right? You're approaching practice with the same type of intentionality uh, and the same perspective. And, and if you have that perspective, which is so much easier said than done, but like of what can I learn from this piece of adversity or where is the opportunity in this setback instead of the opposite, right? The, the regret, the remorse, the, the, that scenario, like, my gosh, like you're just in a position to succeed, right? Because you're actually looking for a way to succeed, not a reason for why you failed, right? And, and all that is is a choice in that moment. And I think for me, I don't know, I, I believe that's something that can be taught. And, and I mean, I've seen it in, in the people that I'm working with that it can be, but um, it's not a natural thing for a lot of people, you know, to go there, right? No, it's really not. And, and, and you know, you, you think about you think about how, how much, and I remember somebody telling me this, and it was sort of like the first piece that started to, to resonate with me. And I, I, I was fortunate. I read, I read a lot of stuff and I was able to connect through the course of my life with a few different sports psychologists and things. And it's like, you know, the, the, there's several examples. Like, and I remember, I remember Bob Rouse telling me, he's like, cause you used to beat yourself up about errors. Well, if you really think about it, the game starts with a mistake, right? Somebody loses a face off, right? So if you think of it from that standpoint, and in life in general, are we not like, are we not truthfully measured by our response to adversity? Like, is that really not what it is in the end? Like how we're, how we're measured. Right. And, and because when things are flowing and they're going, you know, seemingly perfect, like that's not where growth, that's not where growth occurs. You know, that's, that's, and it's great to be a homeostasis for, you know, periods of time. And if you're, if you're doing that at a very high level, then that's, that's probably like sets you up for long-term success. But most, most people I feel like are, we're always like, we're always kind of like, you know, two steps, you know, step backwards, two steps forward, kind of that process. And that's mm -hmm. kind of how I feel like, like my career always went, but if you're always able to, to reflect and, and then, you know, if you're reflecting on things, it's important to, to have appreciation because you can't really affect, you can't really reflect properly from a position of like self-deprecation it has to be from like it has to be from a position of optimism right because right. we have to look for the you have to look for the best bit from it without degrading yourself in the process right to bring yourself yeah. higher and then and then and then you're just evolving to a higher state of being and then you're you know it's probably going to showcase itself through your play so i mean it's it's um it's a it's a it's a daunting road but i i do believe it can be taught to your point and i think it's it's a kind of thing that like meditation and i'm not a like i'm not an active like sit on the floor focus on my breathing meditation guy i think life is supposed to be like a meditation right like i think your process in your life and you know you must be here now like there's nothing else <laughs> there's only there's only the now right mm -hmm. so for us to just be thankful in that invest the time what that is and then when this is done you know move on to the 400 emails i've got <laughs> i've got to return today <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's not the way it goes. Um, yeah, I mean, that's there, there's so much in that, you know, for sure uh, about our perspective and 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 what we choose to see. And the, the the thing is, which I wish I embraced more when I was going through it. Now I don't know what it is. Like I, I think it was a perspective change in just my own life. But now when I do run into something that you mean, whatever there's resistance to that I don't like, that's hard. I can I can really recognize it. Well, this is the exact thing that you need. Yeah, you know, like we, th those are the things that you said. The, the one step back is the thing that nobody wants all the time. The one step back, but that one step back is the thing that allows you to take the two steps forward that you're really proud about. That you know that you've grown from, as you say. Like, 
So all those like those little setbacks or even the big ones, right? The ones that you don't really think or see coming like that. Those are the ones. Anyone that's been on this show like that's like those are the moments that have like galvanized who they are, what they're about, what they found out about themselves, what they proved to their coach, whatever this thing, it's the thing was right that allowed them to become what who, who they were. So, yeah. I mean, to recognize in the moment that this shitty time is actually probably going to be the, the greatest thing for you. Um, yeah. being able to turn that, that switch is, is pretty powerful, I think. And I wish I would have had that a little bit more back when I was playing because I, I got stuck in the, uh, sometimes in the victim side a little bit too often, you know, like why me, why now, you know, yeah. why, why not that guy, you know, like kind of that sort of thought process. And that definitely doesn't serve anybody. No, for sure. It's so, it's so counterproductive to your own personal growth. Right. And, and you, you're right, Jason, like you, you just, we have, you have to use these opportunities and without without the change in without the change in perspective you can't you can't really you know you can't see them you can't see the mountain for the plane like if you're right up against it you, you have to you have to be able to step back and see see where you've come from you have to be able to look and say wow i've really actually climbed a, a really fair distance even though like i'm right up against this thing and then there's certain right. there where you maybe you can sit and have a you know have a have a cup of a cup of hot chocolate or something like that and take it all in right and that's most often especially as athletes where you're just you're, you're face down and you're just you're grasping climbing rocks are falling away like it's such a it's such a daunting thing but it is so important to to make time and space for to gain that perspective because that's really where the growth occurs you know yeah. and it, yeah. and you so get you get that inherently from the setbacks, from the injuries, from the, you know, whatever the setbacks are, you get that opportunity, that space where you, when you're in it every day, day in, day out, day in, day out, it doesn't always, that's not always the time where the growth, where the growth occurs. This first break is brought to you for the dancer in your life. I am a huge fan of my wife and what she's doing in the dance world. She is Mentoring young dancers to take their game to a new level, to really support those dancers that want to take their game to the professional level. And in doing so, and using her years, 10 years of experience in the field herself back in Los Angeles, working for the likes of Paul McCartney and Britney Spears and, and on movie sets, um, she is somebody that you want to listen to. So if you have a dancer in your life, um, a son, daughter, niece, nephew, grandchild, um, by all means, this program is for you. It can be found at mydance.ca. It's a four-week program brought to you by my wife, Miss Sarah Smith-Padolin. And uh, every day there's a video. Every weekend there's a live uh, group chat where she'll coach these athletes through some of the things away from the dance studio that they can do to make themselves better. And uh, she's brilliant at what she does. She's really excited about the program, as am I. It kicks off this March 15th. And uh, all the Up My Hockey listeners, she is giving a, a, a discount code to, which is UpMyHockey20. So when you sign out of MyDance.ca, once again, M-Y-D-A-N-C-E.ca, uh, for Sarah's four-week program, uh, you get to use Up My Hockey 20 as a discount code and get $20 off. I believe the course is $179. Um, don't quote me on that. I think it's $179 for the four weeks. Fantastic value. Uh, this is nothing like anything your dancer has ever taken before, and it's something that she should have taken before, or or he should have taken before. Um, so yeah, get yourselves in there. Uh, line up that dancer. It's going to be amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited for all the work that my wife has put in to see this thing come to fruition. Uh, your dancer will benefit 
substantially, I promise you. So mydance.ca uh, to get to get them in there. Once again, up my hockey 20 for your discount code. Thanks. And now back to the episode with Andy. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. We are live on Facebook, as I said, and, and a few other places. And, and somebody is, has commented on my on my mug. So this is from last year, uh, Sutz. And this awesome. is like my, my team ended up giving me this cup with every logo that I ever played for. It was oh, like nice. such a cool, like cool that's present. So I, I brought it out today and it was recognized. So I should show that that's and acknowledge that it was a pretty good year. And we do have a we do have a question from um, so thanks Monty Hogberg for say, for uh, for for recognizing that and I'll show this one this is actually an interesting one. Um, good morning, guys from Jared Bissett. I have one question. If you could uh, go back, tell yourself one or two hockey skills you should work on more. What would that be? Um, I'll go first, and I'll let you th- give a little time to think because I'm not going to actually say what I should have worked on. But what I found, such which is so kind of counterintuitive, is that once I became a pro. I all like I kind of stopped working on the getting better, which which now I didn't really realize until like actually like probably in the last year or so. Like in junior, I was always out in the ice and always like with guys, not even really knowing that I was consciously working on stuff, but I was right. I was last one off, would leave the building late. And then when I got to pro, it was almost like it became a job, and it was almost like it was. I don't know. Like I wasn't on there working on my, well, I was working on my shots still, I guess, but not really consciously about anything else. You know I mean, I was almost like in homeostasis, as you said, like status quo, I made it. This is what I'm about. I'm scoring goals. I'm okay. Right. But I never kept continuing on that skill development. Now I know that my God, that was a huge error because guys get better all the time. Right. There's always room to improve. But um, how would you answer that question? Um, I, I would I would say like it's to, to your it's to your point I would say like I would I would tell myself to to stop and smell the roses like to breathe breathe it in and make sure that I that I'm appreciative of 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 the, of the space where I'm residing and be thankful for it um, I would work on that as a skill set like I would I would make sure that I remind myself to play and play hard but like it's it's a game like you should we should be pl- we should be playing the 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 fact of the matter is you know as much as everybody w- wants to play at the highest level it's a it's a very select group of people that that are fortunate enough to like to do that so you got to think in a lot of regards about everything else that's going on in the world and yourself as a certainly as an athlete but as a person you know that that has to have a deeper skill set than that so i would also say to myself you know and it's back to perspective again, create, create an environment for success for yourself. Make sure that, make sure that you're focusing on other things outside of how don't pay, put all your eggs in one basket, you know, and, and, and that goes back to the perspective again, you know, and in fact, the matter is like more isn't always better. Like when I, when I play golf, the more I play, sometimes the worse I play, you know, it's like, and, and the more, more hockey is not necessarily going to make you better. I think a targeted approach to what you, you know, what you should be working on is way better. And if, and if you, fo- if I focus, way more on the mindset than the skill than the skill set I, I would have been even better off you know wow that's a that's an advertisement for for me and what I do I mean like I I that's where I was going to go I mean and you just went there but like that would be if, I mean hockey skills I, I think the physical realm is really being exhausted you know it, it, and, and rightfully so you know like we have everything dialed in on that side nutrition you know the how to how to train properly in the gym all the all the skill development stuff that's going on in the ice. I mean, everyone knows you have to skate in this day and age. Everyone knows you have to be able to puck handle. Um, you know, so obviously work on those skills. But what I think is like 
is this massive opportunity is the mindset side of this. Like how, how does all that come together for a player and how do you handle the resiliency uh, and the adversity and, and the perseverance? And like, those are skills. Your character is a skill in my opinion. And I think that's, that's what I do now. And that's what I'm passionate about because I don't think enough people, I mean, you get the right coach in the right environment. Of course they talk about it and it's part of the culture, but it's not really taught as something you can improve. And you yeah. can improve it, right? So I'm, I'm glad you said that. I think mindset over skill set is is kind of that that hidden uh, secret weapon, in essence. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Jason. It's like it, it's it's unfortunate in a lot of regards. Like there, there's probably not enough athletes even that that get there, let alone people that can convey it to young people, right? And so you think about these founding moments in our in our in our sports lives, and this casts across all sports, and maybe just life in general like so many tasks that we have to do or how many tasks we make our, you know, ask our children to do. Right. So we create this like structure where it's all just task oriented and it's, it's not about creating perspective or balance necessarily. And then do, do we, are we fortunate enough to have coaches, teachers, you know, parents in our life that can, that can, that can show us that, right. Probably the answer most of the times is no. So you've got to, you've got to take it on yourself. Like you just, you've got to, it's got to be something that's ingrained on a on a daily basis just to check in you gotta you gotta constantly check in you know just see how things are actually making you feel fundamentally you know it, it can't just be like head down and go 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 with with reckless ambition there's got to be there's got to be some in the end there's got to be some thoughtfulness to it to make sure that it's a rounded experience and hopefully you know where you're able to get coaches and teachers and parents that, that can support that portion of the journey right. for you no, that's well. And you talked about it. Uh, one of the programs that I developed was called uh, Building Championship Character, Building Championship Hockey, hockey Character specifically. And and um, I, I just I broke broke down like some character traits that I think are really fundamentally essential, you know, to to being uh, to being a great athlete, and and especially in the hockey world. Because I do think that there's a different culture around hockey, um, just in and of itself, the inherent nature of it being a team sport. And unlike a team sport like like baseball or basketball, like there's there's a little bit more of a you know, a herd pack approach uh, with hockey, right? That, that, uh, that requires a few different uh, personality traits. And one of the ones that I have on there in my top 10 is gratitude, um, which I think is, is, is very overlooked in a professional sports kind of realm and, and, and what you think a hockey player needs to be. Cause we think tough and we think, you know, gladiatorial and, you know, like these competitive, which, which I think are all great traits. But when you combine gratitude in that mix, I think it keeps you more present and connected to the moment and what it is that you're doing, which is playing a game. Uh, and whether it's the junior level or the midget level or Bantam level or, or a pro level, like, to keep that in mind and to keep that very present. And I think that really helps with nerves. I think it helps with anxiety. I think there's a ton of things that it helps with as well. Um, can you maybe, and I teach that as like something that we can improve again, right? That is something that when we're conscious about it and we're intentional about it, that you can, you can become more grateful. Um, and have you ever met somebody who's too grateful? I mean, that's just something that doesn't, doesn't happen, right? No, it doesn't happen. It's, it's one of the, and my, 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 my wife is the most great, grateful person I've ever met. She, she's thankful for everything. And it's like, I've never really uh, been with somebody that's so vocal about her, about her gratitude, you know, and it's, it's, it's really, it's infectious too. And it's, it's really, it really honestly is one of the best things you work on to be grateful for every experience because it's not, none of it's, none of it's guaranteed, you know, there's nothing. And there's not even a there's not even really like a there's not even like really a rhyme or a reason or even a recipe that that has to be like a templated thing for you like the 
the possibilities of life are endless. So, and and it's in some so many regards. Like I've seen it time and time again. I what is meant for us finds a way, um, and it finds a way faster if you're able to be if we're able to be truly present in that experience because we can't we can't receive this the um, the the feedback that's that's given to us that 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 can be a portion of dictating that direction if we're not present and if you're not present and thankful for for the receipt of that then you don't have the perspective to be able to say like okay how does this how does this intersect to what I'm doing this new variable, this new stimuli, how do I, how do I intersect this with what I'm doing? Or does this change the way that I want to do things just in general? I'm going to go this other route. So right. it, it's, it's, some, it's imperative value stuff. I mean, it just, it just has to be there. And it's, and it is, is it's maybe the easiest thing you can do for yourself yeah. to teach yourself to be thankful because I, I truly believe it's a, it's for my wife, it's a, it's a repetitive thing in her mind just to start with thankfulness, no matter what it is, and then work forward from there. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some great, I mean, you know, gratitude, it's not like nobody's talking about it. It is in some circles, very talked about, depends on who you're following, who your social media kind of following is. But, you know, there's some great gratitude practices that people can get into. Um, and again, because it's a habit, right? I mean, it really is a habit and you're conditioning your brain to develop that habit. So, you know, to consciously start with a, with a gratitude before bed or gratitude in the morning or something, that's a great way to start the day. And not to mention, like when you when you authentically show up, being grateful, like say to a practice or to a three game losing streak or whatever the case may be, right? Like you change that mood in the room, you change the mood on your line. Um, people want to be around you. People want to go to bat for you. Like that's the other thing that this happens. You know what I mean? And you don't want to do it. Uh, you know, you don't want to do it, use it like as a strategy, but those are, those are some of the things that the fallout of being grateful, right? Like you just, you have people that, that want to be around you. You have people that want you to be a part of their organization. So as an athlete, it definitely helps as well. It does. And, and it's like, you know, it's, it's gotta be genuine, you know, and I think the, the way to make it, genuine is to make it make it part of your of your being of your essence right and, yeah. and if you get to the point where truthfully and I, I think you can train yourself to feel that way and, it, and it's authentic it's a me it can be immediate it's immediate almost you know yeah um, and it's a really nice way also to put a mark in marker in yourself to draw back because so many times like the game gets away from you you're stressed out about something over here or something over there but all the while like it's still like, what do you do right now in this space? So if you're practicing and you've got stuff going on, school's not good, you're, you're fighting with your parents, like whatever, whatever the thing is, coach is upset with you. It, it kind of doesn't, it kind of doesn't matter. Like in that moment where you have practice to do, or you have your schoolwork you got to do, or you've got game coming up this week, like whatever the thing is, like just, just to be, be able to draw back and be thankful that you have that opportunity to, to excel, have that opportunity to work on yourself, have that opportunity to have the camaraderie that I know we probably miss, you know, being done from the yeah. game. That that's the thing. Like I wish I was ever more thankful about the camaraderie too. Yeah. You know, just, just that in and of itself. Cause you're on a, you're on a, it's a beautiful thing to be on it a team of like-minded people, you know, trying to do the same thing. And you have so much shoulder time where you're, you know, able to just have a lot of laughs. Like how many laughs did you have when you play like with the boys and stuff like that? It's yeah. the best, you know? So, you know, just, just find those things that are, that are constant reminders to draw back to presence and then work and then work forward from there. Yeah. yeah. So we'll go back to your final year. So you, you are, you go from a guy who has two goals or six goals in three seasons to 16 his final year. You get these accolades uh, teams are calling. Did you like you probably didn't have an agent till then? I assume. Did you get an agent halfway through that year or at the end of the year or, or what happened with that? 
it was a couple of couple of few months into that into that season i had a, a few agencies reach out and again i i, I ended up making a, what i think was a great choice like i i signed with a guy named jeff solomon and jeff jeff's been with you the LA solid. Kings. yeah it's Sully, yeah yeah yes he's been with the kings for a while he was my first agent first 10 years i was with Sully, and um he he was a perfect agent for me. He really was. He was he was hands on and boutique and and uh, had like a father figure style, you know. Um, but was also really smart and and cared cared for me in my career to a really high degree. So I, I just you know it's like sometimes you're right where you're supposed to be and you and you you know hopefully hopefully that you know the decisions you make, especially when you're inexperienced, end up becoming the right ones and you don't you don't pick the wrong people, you know. So yeah. Thank yeah, you. I think you mean, and, and I mean, I kind of have a different story which I've told in here before. I, I went with Mike Barnett, who I mean, he, he he's a nice man. I saw him again, and like he's somebody that I mean, he never he never wronged me at all. But he was just a really big fish, and I was a small small fish, you know, for a long time. So I I, I needed the more boutique approach, especially with what happened with my career. And and Tom Laidlaw was kind of I was trying to decide between Tom Laidlaw and him. And ended up going with Barnett, and that's why I ended up being with Solomon at the end of the day too. At one point there, because of the whole, uh, anyways, the way that happened. But that's a big decision, I and mean, not one to be taken lightly. And I always, uh, my my uh, my lesson from that is is it's not who they have, or it's not what they're about, but it is about that relationship. You know, like do do you want to be around him? Does he want to be around you? And 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 understanding yourself again, that identity of like, how do you think you're best served? Right, as an athlete, are you somebody that needs somebody who's going to call you once a week? Or are you somebody who doesn't need anyone for the whole year? Right, and like, and that that matters. You have to be able to ask those questions. But uh, Michigan Tech, so you, you end up getting Solomon. Um, Fourteen teams are throwing you first round money. Um, which, like, what is it at that time? Is that like million dollar kind of stuff? Like, was that signing bonus or what? What, what was it? One way deal? Yeah, what did you get? Just less than a million bucks. I ended up signing. It was like I got, I think, eight hundred, eight hundred grand from the show. I joke around with people all the time. I was like, I had like five bucks in my bank account, like you know, stealing chicken breasts and stuff. Like, seriously, like it was like because when you're an when you're a student athlete at school, they give, they give you some money, but it's like it's supposed to go to books, but it boils down in the end. Like if you're if you're not working another job, and I don't know how a student athlete could possibly also work a job and do that well, but like you have no money. I mean, you're literally broke as a joke, you know. So it went from that to you know having all this all this money, and I think the I think the Blues offered me like nine fifty or something. That was like the max, and then then there were a few other teams in and in and around there, and a couple just under the Sharks. And um, this it was it was a crazy position to be in to just like make make a cho- make a choice like that, you know, Holy especially smokes. coming out. Of, you know, so yeah, so so wow. I always get, that's why my, my podcast goes so long because a lot of people would just blow over that. But like, you mean saying no to 150 K when you have no money, you know, is, is a huge thing. So that's like, obviously something that was discussed with the agent and you said that you were kind of picking through the lineup and where do I fit? Um, So you decided to take a $150,000 haircut, but let's not even talk about that. Let's just talk about how was that from a life change? Like, how did you handle $800,000? Like, was that... Did you did you have a couple reckless nights, or were you pretty responsible with it, or how, how did that all go? I've always been pretty responsible, I think, and I, I was really, I think really responsible at that time as you come through four years of having virtually no money, and then you know my my family's got a humble, humble background. My dad's a locksmith, and he worked worked really really hard to care for us for you know his whole life. He's still working today, and um, you know so I, I I got to see a man for a long time who like worked worked really really hard, and you know he took care of us, but you know there's also you know, you got to be responsible when you, you, you know, you've got certain, certain barriers. So, you know, I grew up in that kind of environment. So for me, you know, it was, I don't know, I, I was, I was never really, 
that wasn't really the thing for me. I think at that point I was like, okay, how, how am I going to make it now? Like, how am I going to actually do this? Right. So there are a few interesting things that happened there too. Like I got, I got to go, um, I signed right at a school and I got to go and, and finish the season in Lexington, Kentucky, which is where the American league team was. I played like seven or eight games or something like that. And then, and then we, uh, I got to go down and be a black ace with the sharks for the playoff run. So I got to be with the team and travel with the team for the, entire playoff run. So I got to know a lot of the guys and, and the staff and, and got to get a little bit more comfortable, even though it was like really crazy, you know, watch, watch Owen Nolan ripping around Mike Ricci and all these just legends. Right. So, um, but it gave me a certain comfort level. And then they kept me there that summer. I had my, I had my, uh, was that the second shoulder surgery or the third? I can't remember. I had a shoulder surgery that summer and they wanted me to stay and read and rehab me and get me really strong. So I got to stay through the summer and spend time with the medical staff and everybody like that. And then I went into the rookie camp that next year and I had a really good, really good rookie camp. Um, you had a one way. Uh, I was on a two way contract. Everybody was on a two, two way back then. So, you know, I, there were no guarantees. And, and um, so I went into the rookie camp, had a good, had a good rookie camp. Um, and then, and then from there, I actually made, I actually made the club out of training camp my first year, oh, you did. which was crazy. They, they sent me down for a couple of stints just because the distance between San Jose and Lexington was so far. So when they'd send you down, they'd send you down for like two, three weeks. And then, like, you didn't know if you were coming back up, but you kind of just went down again and you, you worked really hard and tried to play the game the right way and, and get back up. So, thankfully, that was the case. You'll see, like, with the with the time, the games that I played the first two years, I, I sat in the press box a lot. I uh, watched a lot of hockey games, which was, I don't think at the time, was, like, a great thing for me. And it kind of led to, you know, the, ne the next thing. And there were, you know, a couple sliding doors types of things there with the Sharks, too. You know, when I, I, had, <laughs> I had started fighting some guys in training camp and, and uh, even the earlier parts of the regular season and I was doing pretty well and I was fighting a lot of heavyweight guys and I was never really like the player I thought I'd be um, <clears throat> but it was going well and that was a different time in the game I and mean, you remember what it was like back then I mean every team had two three four guys that just that just loved to fight so I, I kind of got into that just because of my size and I always sort of took on that responsibility I think well what happened next was kind of a big change right so we had Brant Myers was our heavyweight and at the time, Brant was dealing with some substance abuse problems. He's been clean now for like a decade or whatever, thank goodness. But he uh, he was in the program, substance abuse program, and then they they pulled him out. So they pulled Brant out of the – he was like suspended from play, I think, for a couple months. So like, oh, it's okay. We've got this big, we got this big college kid that we didn't know could fight. So now like I'm lining up on the wing. They're not even playing me on defense anymore. They put me on the wing. I'm playing against like the Matt Johnsons and Scott Parkers and – you know, all these, I'm fighting like literally all the heavyweights and, and, and I, it, it became uh, the worst thing that probably could have ever happened. So now I've had all kinds of anxiety and stress and it wasn't what I wanted to do, you know, despite the fact that I could do it, you know, to some level. And um, it kind of started to typecast me a bit. And then uh, it, it just, the writing was on the wall there that I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be what I wanted to be there. So um, they ended up, they ended up exposing me in the expansion draft and I, I went to the wild and kind of, you know, was playing, playing uh, defense there. And then Jacques actually tried to turn me back into a forward, believe it or not. Um, he's playing, putting me in front of the net on the power play. Cause I always had pretty like decent hands for a big guy. And, and uh, I could, I could, I was pretty strong on my skate. So he started to try to turn me back into a forward uh, and I had some injuries and I wasn't, that wasn't going the way. So I literally went in uh, to Mike Ramsey at the time who was a defense coach. And I said, Hey, Rammer, I think I'm meant to be a defenseman in this league. Um, you know, wh what do you think? What do you think about that? Is there anything you can do to help me? Or, 
Um, and he looked me square in the eye and he said, Sutz, he says, you'll never be a defenseman in this league. And that was the, that was it for me. Like the next day I went into, you know, think about it, Jacques Lemaire, right? Mike Ramsey <laughs> tells you you're never going to be a defenseman in the league. Doug Risebro is the GM. So I walk into Doug's office, not, not in any kind of like way other than to just plead with the man and be like, and I still, I still felt it fundamentally. This is back again to like just holding true to yourself, strong to your identity. And I went in, I said, Riser, I said, if there's any way you could trade me somewhere where somebody would want me as a defenseman, I would really appreciate it because I believe fundamentally that this is the road for me to have a long and successful career. And I think I caught him off guard. I didn't think he would have expected that from a young player. I was only whatever, 23 or 24 years old at that time. And uh, he traded me to the Thrashers uh, in less than a week. And that was really, that was really like probably the pivot point of my whole career because I got to go in there and, um, and start to play defense again. They brought in Bob Hartley uh, the year after I got there and Bob came in and the first thing he said to me in his, in his broken uh, French English, he, he says, uh, Sutz, I heard that you can play the game. He's like, you haven't shown it yet. Uh, he said, uh, I'm going to play you 30 minutes a night and we're going to find out. So he, he literally did. He, he, he literally wouldn't take me off the ice. And, and that was the, that was the time and I always say with people too, I don't know if what come, if it's what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? Like, do you have to play well to get more ice time or do you have to get more ice time and then play well, right? It's such a tough thing as a coach. And if, and, and there, and I dealt with it so many different ways. Like I had spaces in my career where I was a five, six, seven defenseman. I had, I had a solid, you know, five years in Atlanta where I was in the top pair and I was playing over 30 minutes a night. That's that part where, you know, redefinition, perspective and then sometimes you're just in a in a situation where that's just what you are and you have to choose to either accept it or you've got to choose to make a make a statement you know so i i held you know i feel like the holding true to to that self-belief and then putting a pl an action plan together and then thankfully you know i had a gm that i th was incredibly respectful to a young player's position and and he he pulled the trigger on it and it was a chain of events that that sort of like right. you know Free. Well, how did that I mean yeah because I mean, just for everyone listening and even for me like so you know the size of the cojones on you there uh, was was big you know like you 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 had the big the big signing bonus but you said you're a press box guy up and down to the minors in san jose right yeah. so you hadn't i mean there's no i mean i would assume you didn't feel like you had established yourself in the nhl at that point right um and then you go to minnesota and you have a, you have a full season there, so you play sixty nine games, but you're still like you, yourself said you're kind of mixed identity. You don't really know what's up or down. You probably don't really feel comfortable with what your role is. And then that next year, you say I want to trade, and and it happens for you. What what was the end of that conversation like with Doug? Did did do you remember like what he said? Yeah, I, I think he I think he's he. He's, I think he said, "I, I appreciate your uh, your position, and and let me let me see let me see what I can what I can figure out." And he and I you know he and I always carry myself you know I, I think with a lot of integrity and and uh, I was definitely passionate you know and I was always kind to everybody like I was always really close with the staff and so I I think he had a respect for me as a person 
and maybe even there's respect for like what I was trying to accomplish because he'd already accomplished it, you know, and maybe he's like, you know, this is a guy who has this, maybe, and maybe that's the first thing, like where you're like, you know, where Luke Skywalker realizes that he's, you know, he's a Jedi and he's got a, you know, or Neo in the matrix when you can finally realize the way that the, you know, that's that this is your identity. And again, it's like these movies always align up where, you know, the, the, the lead always finds a place where he like trusts implicitly that this is what he is. That belief is the underlying thing that allows us, I believe, to like to propel ourselves because in the end, like we're constantly tested. Uh, you know, the game itself tests us. The, the, the external variables put, put stresses and influences on, on us that, that make it challenging to, to, to duplicate, right. And do the same thing. Even for you, like as a goal scorer, like I know I was so glad I was never a goal scorer because you know, that it's so hard to just put up goals and points all the time. I mean, it's like, you know, it's so much easier in some regards, like, especially being a big defenseman for me to focus on blocking shots, you know, hitting people, making a good first pass in a lot of ways. Like I, I could, I could set some parameters in place that, and then put those on auto repeat where it really was like, okay, like this guy, this guy has a, has a serious skill set. He's very hard to get around because he's big and he's fairly mobile for his size. You know, he's got a good shot from the point. He gets it off in the right way and does, he makes a great first pass. He blocks shots like a madman and he's hard to play against. I like that better than like having to do what you had to do, you know, putting up points all the time where you're like looked at, you know, and, and, and that's, that's such a, that's such a lightning in the bottle kind of thing oftentimes, right? Like to be able to, yeah. to be able to stay hot and be able to constantly produce. And you know, as well as I do, like the guys that do that consistently, they're like, a, it's another, it's a whole other level. I mean, like it's, it's, it's ridiculous, right? The guys yeah. that like, like the Ryan gets laughs of the world and all these guys that just like, just like just machines. Right. So yeah. it's, it's a, just another level. Yeah. From a skill set side, then also from like to, to get, position that you are that guy right in that organization that you just keep getting put out there again and again and again until you find the puck starts finding the net again right like that's a that's a special place too i mean i i like how you brought that up with with uh with risebrow there because that that was i mean we speaking again to the person behind the player and you're probably 100 percent right because if somebody else walks in that office and asks that question a little different way or with maybe without the the uh the resume kind of, I mean, the, in the locker room type resume, you could have been on the next flight down to the minors quite easily. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. um, so, I mean, that, again, that I, I can't stress that enough because I don't hear anyone else talking about it. Like the guys that do really well, usually had somebody that wanted to go to bat for them. Yeah. Right. And why do they want to do that? Right. There has to be some type of an emotional connection there. Right. Like some reason, some respect, some something right for Doug Reisbrow to do that. Um, you get into a situation in, in Atlanta, which, I mean, I've talked to uh, Brad Larson on here before. Did you did you play with Brad when he was there? Yeah, clutch, yeah. all all time faves. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I'd love to hear what you have to say about Lars. But I mean, he he went from Colorado to Atlanta, right? So he went from like being on one of the best teams in the NHL to Atlanta. You can speak um, to that because San Jose was a pretty good club there for a couple of years too, right? So you kind of felt like that was about. And and he said that it's almost like you're not even playing in the same league yeah. you know like it, it felt so different you know for, for him um but you're an NHLer so like can you talk about that you know what I mean like just about that playing in Atlanta a team that's not having success um yet still having to be a professional because you're in the greatest league in the world 
Yeah, it's, you know, and I can, I can remember distinctly, I, I'd still, you know, talk about it all the time with people. I mean, I mean being, being pinned, pinned in our end for like literally, literally like 15 minutes at a time, like <laughs> not even being able to break the puck out, you know, because we were, we were severely outmatched in a lot of regards, you know, and, and, um, you know, but to your point, like you've got to, you've got to just keep maintaining some, the professionalism, the, the, the drive, the passion to do better, the uh the motivation to um to up to uplift your teammates hopefully to lead by example and, and come back renewed with, with with renewed optimism the next day renewed energy to try to try to make tomorrow a better day and you know we lived through uh a pretty stark transition with that organization you know like you know i got in there and you know heatley and kovalchuk were just a, just in their second season when i got there and um we hadn't rounded out as a team then we you know go through the situation with with danny with dan danny's accident and 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 dan snyder's death and and that was crazy but then we start you know i think start playing better you know bob hartley brought in some really good systems we get kari lettinen as a goalie who turns out to be an absolute stud right and then we we attract the greg DeVries of the world and we we attract the scott melanby's and the bobby holiks and 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 the Marian Hosas and the Slava Kozlovs and the Mark Savards, right? So now you, you see this team starting to starting to build and grow. Um, you know, Eric Belanger was there. You get Brad Larson in, so you get you get these really great role players. You know, Garnett Garnett Exelby was coming up, and he was starting to really show himself as a as a tough defense. So we really started to kind of round out, um, you know, what what we were uh, what we were doing there, and. And from that standpoint, I think, you know, it is really cool to be through that transition because we definitely <laughs> spent a lot of time in the in the doldrums, you know, not winning enough hockey games. And it's like, you know, you're a you're a pro, you're, you're, your responsibility is to do your job. And then nobody likes to lose all the time. You know, you're going to lose some games, certainly. But like, you know, that that's uh that kind of mindset when you're on a team where you're really, you know, fundamentally you're mostly outmatched. So it's, it's a tough space to exist in, you know, because right. you need a selection of miracles usually to, to win against the, you know, I remember we had, we played against the uh, New York Rangers that when we finally made the playoffs and I think it was 06, 07, we finally made the playoffs. The, the association made, the organization made the playoffs for the first time and we play the Rangers and we were, we were first place in the Southeast division and we play the Rangers, so we had home ice advantage, and they swept us four straight. And I think Michael Nylander had the puck like seventy-five percent of the time. It was like ridiculous; nobody could even get the puck off of him. We go into uh, Madison Square Garden for Game Three after losing the first two games at home, and I think they blew us out like seven or eight nothing. You know, and it's just like the from the anthem they sing there to like that annoying song they play when they score every time. And it's just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like we are so outmatched, you know. But the, you know, and then you see how hard it is to win consistently in the NHL because we go from that season and we had all those players I mentioned earlier, and then they literally dismantled the team. I, I went away, Savvy went away, um, Marion Hosa went away. So the the team was the team was dismantled uh, shortly thereafter. So it was a you know it's it, it's it for the, these teams that win on a consistent basis. It's just it's 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 so impressive. Take another short break from the episode here with Mr. Andy Sutton to tell you a little bit about where you can find me, which is upmyhockey.com. Uh, you can find out what I do to work with teams, what I do to work with academies, uh, individual players, and also about my Up My Hockey family membership, uh, which gets 
my programs, which gets workshops, which gets access to me. Uh, it's, it's something that I'm really excited about that a lot of people are taking um, part in. And you can find that on the website as well, myhockey.com under services. Uh, it also includes a Facebook group on Facebook uh, for parents. It's called Up My Hockey slash Parent Group. It's a private group. It is completely free. There is lots of value inside there. And if you are a little hesitant to take the plunge right off the bat, uh, which you shouldn't feel hesitant because I promise you the value is vast and wide and broad. And it's all the areas that your athlete needs, that I that your program, current program, I'm sure is not diving into the way that I do. Uh, talk, talking about character, talking about mindset, mental toughness, uh, you know, the traits required to get noticed and to take advantage of opportunities uh, where we empower athletes to step into their greatness and to really find what makes them great. How can they become their best? Giving them the tools to do that. Um, so yeah, that's that's at upmyhockey.com. Again, the uh, Facebook group is Up My Hockey Parent Group. Please join us there. Check us out and uh, become part of the community. Now back to the episode with Andy Sutton. It really yeah. is. It's all, you know, it's all, it's all culture based, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's the one thing that Lars spoke to is just like the culture in Colorado. Like the, I mean, the only, the only thing that was important was whether they won the game or not. And he said he came to Atlanta and it was, you know, guys are breaking their sticks because they didn't get, you know, quite enough minutes or they didn't win the game or, you know, he didn't, didn't get the apple or, you know, whatever the case may be. And he was just like, where, where am I? You know, I mean, what, what is this all about? This isn't what I was taught. Uh, from the Joe Sackets and the Forsbergs of the world, right? Um, so it would be super different. And then, like, I, I'm just wondering, too, and probably not in the moment, but you said you were a one-two pair there for a while, and I mean this with no disrespect at all. Like, that would probably correlate into maybe a 3-4 or a 5 guy on a on a playoff team, C- correct? Like, w- would that how you would see that? I, I, at that, at that time, like, I was, I was playing good hockey. I really was. And I, I think... You know, on, I mean, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have been a one, two pair on a lot of teams for sure. But I think there would have been 10 teams on the league. I'd have been a one, two, three guy. Um, right. You know, the next, the next, the next 10, maybe a, you know, maybe a two, three, four guy. And then the next, that was, 10. The, t- that was the top. When did you get your second contract? Was that in Atlanta? I got my second contract in Minnesota. Um, and then I got my next contract in, in Atlanta. And, and at that time, you know, like, I wasn't a free agent until I was 32 years old. Like you had to pay your, you had to pay your dues, you know? Right. Um, so I didn't become a free agent until 2000, 2007, I think. I mean, I played, played, uh, I played almost a decade at that point. Right. So yeah. it's like, you really had to pay. Right. Your- yeah. That's crazy. So that's like oh, probably the first real big, you know, windfall or payday, but like even that comes into careers, right. It's kind of why I was going with that is because some of these, I mean, let's just take let's just take an Ottawa right now or Detroit, some somebody that's playing right now. Like a lot of those guys on that team would wouldn't have an NHL job if they were somewhere else, you know. Yeah. But they but they do and they're playing and they're getting that opportunity to play. And now they're becoming recognized as NHLers and they're they're gonna be NHLers, right? So to your point of like where you pick to sign originally, like super does matter because you can be stuck being a good player in an organization with no place to play. That's right. It does matter. And, and, you know, I, I don't, I don't love thinking about the excuses, like whether the, this, you know, I, this coach, you know, messed my career up cause he didn't uh, this or that. And a lot of people go down that road. A lot of people have those stories to tell, you know, and, and in the end, you know, one of, one of Keith Kachuk's great, great expressions was he, he want, he'd be like, Hey, you want to make more money? It's like, yeah, play better. 
right? So like in the end, you you know, you've got to make the most of what you have. And if you, you if you're getting limited minutes, there's stuff you can there's stuff you can do. You know, you can you can still make an impact. Is it easier when you're you know, the, you know you're told to go over the boards every second or third shift, and you know you're going out and you're in the flow of the game? Sure, it is. Is it is it is it better? Do you have more chance to succeed if you're on the first power play unit than getting the last twenty five or thirty seconds on a second unit? Hundred yeah, percent. But at the same point in time, if you're that guy on that second unit, and you get twenty five thirty seconds. You, you got twenty five thirty seconds to make the most of it and 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 grab grab some attention, and maybe you're the next guy when somebody's not putting it in the net on the first unit to to go there. So it's like you got to you got to just kind of keep it in perspective and just keep keep trudging and 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 try to work within the constructs of what, what you're dealing with, because, you know, whether or not a coach is in line with the athlete you are or the athlete you're trying to become is, is kind of in, in it's kind of uh, independent of what you're trying to do for yourself. So, sure. and then there is a contractor at the end of the day. I mean, you really yeah. are. I mean, I talk about being a team guy and that's super important, but I mean, you are, you are there for, for you, right? I mean, you're there to try and make money and to extend your career and, and do what you can to make those things work. That must've been like the most, I would assume one of the greatest things you ever heard when someone, when he says, you know, I'm going to play you 30 minutes. I mean, like the, the, how that would probably have opened you up and allowed you to become, you know, step into that potential of you as a player and to show what you can do and not have to punch, you know, punch people out to get your next shift, but just go play some hockey and, and become Andy Sutton. I mean, that must, you must be super thankful for that opportunity. Yeah, it was, it was amazing, you know, and it's, it's, um, it's a I really relished the opportunity to play against the other team's top players, you know, and at the time we're in the Southeast division. So we played the, played the hurricanes and the lightning and the capitals eight times a year. And like, you know, Ovechkin in his prime and, and, you know, the Cavalier, San Luis, you know, Richards, Prosper, all those guys. And then, you know, Stahl and, and Eric Cole and those guys in Carolina. So, I mean, it was, it was a big, it was a big responsibility. And I think I, I enjoyed that, you know, being the first guy out on the power on the PK. And there was even some time where I was, you know, I was the first guy out on the, on the power play there. I think I had seven or eight power play goals the one year, which was really good for a guy that really was never known for that. Um, and that was fun, right? That was a lot, that was a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, I think the, you know, that, uh, that time spent there was was definitely definitely uh, formative and really probably cast my at least belief in myself that I could that I could do it you know right yeah well for sure because you because you proved it I mean that's the thing is well you already mentioned it you mean like getting more ice to allow you to be good or being good to allow you to get more ice you mean when when both of those can kind of come in, in and you know in your the back of your head or even the front of your head that you know what I'm going to get out the next shift. You know, like I'm going to get out the next shift. And I can go play. I, Wade Redden spoke to that. I mean, his rookie year, he said there were some injuries. I mean, he was a really high draft pick, but they essentially told him that you know, you're going to play, kid. I mean, go out and play. And he and he said like that message like really really helped. You know, I mean, he'd be lying to say if it, if it didn't. You know, the the fact that he knew he was going to go out there allowed him to gain some roots, to gain some confidence, um, to not be squeezing the stick too tight. And then. Um, and then I think I mean, not all teams can do that though, right? And that's the thing. But at least then you allow the player to show what he's about. You know, when you when you're when your leash is this long, you know, I mean like that's that's a pretty tough environment to play in for anyone. And mm -hmm. even Jerome McGinley talked about that. He's like, I always had respect for the fourth line guys. He's like, I thought I understood that role. But he's like at the end of my career when I was in Colorado and I was that guy, he's like, it is so hard to be in that role and to try and play free and to try and be able to do what you know you can do. Cause he's like limited minutes, you know you can't make mistakes. You're in a different role. 
and he's you know he won the he won the Maurice Richard Trophy, right? Yeah. This guy, right? And he's saying he had a hard time with it. Imagine a twenty-year-old coming up and get given that type of minutes, right? It's tough. Well, it's tough, and you're probably if you're in that position, you're probably a stud wherever you came from. So you're used to being the guy out there. So yeah. now, now it's affecting your ego, right? Because yeah. that's the other thing. Like you're used to being the guy, you're used to being the man, and now all of a sudden, like you're fighting for shoulder minutes, you know. And that's where a lot of guys, and I don't know if this was the same case for you or not, but I, I can remember like very distinctly Steve Gowala, right? So so Stevie came. Stevie was part of San Jose when I was there, and for whatever reason or not, like couldn't figure out how to, how to sustain in the NHL, but he'd go down and win the scoring championship in the American league every single year. Right. But he couldn't, he just couldn't, he couldn't, or maybe didn't want to, or like to be the big fish, you know, more than he liked to go down and have the, have all the pressure and being on the second power play, you know, cause you're not going to go, he's not going to go down and take Owen Nolan's position. I mean, so let's, yeah. let's be honest. So then, you know, he goes back down to Lexington and he stay and he can stay on for the full two minutes and he's racking up points left, right and center. So it's like, you know, there's a, um, it's, it's, it's kind of, it, it, especially if you're an offensive guy, I think it's really, I think it's really challenging. Um, to 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 make it because you've got to you've got to play you've got to play enough to play the minutes because yeah, you see it yeah. now. I mean the third the third and fourth lines they're all fast they're all like hard checking they're probably predominantly def defense first and there's a lot of there's still a lot of skill on those on those lines now. It's not like it's not like the game in the nineties when you know third third and fourth line was a different subset of players. You know you had your yeah. sort of offensive guys and then you had the guys that were just pure like pure pluggers. You know and like the guys can all really really play now and then but. Still Still, you know the the top players are are so much better, so they're gonna they're gonna eat up the lion's share of the of the imperative minutes, you know. So you've gotta you gotta understand what you're up against too, and have a have a realistic set of expectations. Yeah, I heard you on a I can't remember where, but you talked about Ilya Kovalchuk a little bit, and just whatever. I mean, his skill set is obviously was tough to argue with, but just more like what he was like in the locker room. Um. And I've spoke to that here before too. Like it's really hard to have, I mean, I don't know what you want to call it. Let's just say a bad fish, you know, like he's a little bit selfish. You know, he's about himself. It's tough to win when your best player is like that, you know, like really hard, uh, especially young. I mean, and I also have bridged the gap and not that I'm saying these guys that don't have great characters. I think Connor McDavid does. And I think Jack Eichel does from, from everything that I've heard about, but when these young guys are the studs of the team, right. And they're the, they're the focal point. And they have all this pressure from, you know, the organization and from the media and from everything else. And now they're supposed to be leading the team. Um, if he's not that character individual, like how the hell is everyone else supposed to, like, how are you supposed to be successful in that? That makes it super hard. Doesn't it? it does. And I, and I think that, I think the NHL made a mistake when, when they let the free agency age go so young, because I, I don't think they really looked at the fact that, that every, um, every top player was essentially going to get dollar cost average and going to get a long-term contract, 50, 60 million bucks after a year and a half or two years of playing in the league. How do you keep around a, a 10 year veteran then? I mean, because it, it, if you're doing it right and you're in your 10th year, like you should be making more money than you were making in your third year. So at a certain, at a certain point, like how do you afford that guy who's, who's, so pivotal to the organization and the young guy that you're trying to keep so you don't lose him at you know 26 years old 
they, they, I don't think they were thoughtful enough about how that, how that would work. And it created a, it created a, an interesting dichotomy that, that didn't become conducive for the growth of the game. And I think that's where when you see these, like, and so and I hate to say this, but like sometimes when I watch the game, I see these captains and I look at their faces. I'm like, that's a child. That's a child captain. Like that's literally, and there's not just one of them anymore. There's, there's a multitude of them in the league and they're not the, they're not the uh, Jerome Ginlas of the, of the league. You know what I mean? It's a different, it's a different, uh, it's a different type of player now. So I don't know. I, I think it's a lot for a young person to contend with. I mean, I, I, I think the whole lifestyle is a lot to contend with. I think the, the journey there is a lot. And I think, you know, figuring out how to stay there is a, is a, is a pretty daunting thing to do. You know, you mm-hmm. play for, if you play, if you're able to play for a long time, you've had a, you had to jump through a lot of hoops along the way for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good to have those. I mean, I don't know, like the role models matter. I mean, the, the one, the one experience I had in Detroit and it was a brief one, but at training camp and just seeing how that, organization ran you know and how those guys in their 30s like were the were just like these these galvanizing pieces of like what this whole thing was about and then you know the nick lidstrom's and the and the zetterbergs and the the dad like they were just all part of the same bus you know going the same direction and it was really cool to see what that what that was like and and definitely use that since that in business and my approach to other things right like of, of how to how to keep everyone collectively going the same direction but um yeah man the league's different that's for sure yeah i mean a lot of, in some ways better in some ways worse i think um yeah. you know i it's it's so young that i don't think they really like i think what we had to go through to get in um there was maybe <laughs> maybe a little bit too brutal, maybe a little bit too tough. And, and now it seems, it almost seems like it's too far the other way, especially maybe from like our perspective going in. Like, I don't know, how do you, how do you feel about, about that, that arrival point for, for these guys now? Well, I mean, I, I lived it, you know, so the, in my, in my final, you know, few years, you know, I, I really got to see it happen. Never more, you know, glaring than my final time in, in Edmonton, right? There was, I think there was, I think there were seven first rounders on that team that I went and played with. I mean, it was, it was insane. Right. And then, you know, you, you saw the amount of money that that started to flow. And it just it's for how young the players are. I think there still should be some sort of right of like right of passage. I really do. I think it's I think it's too it's too easily granted, honestly. And, and then and then the leagues become all about youth. I mean, it's like there's the the the. the the, the ten the time of the length of players' careers is going to go is going down because there's just you know there's just not room for the thir- the third fourth line guys that are tenured they're unless you're doing something really special they're not going to fill that space with a veteran player that, because it's all about breeding the next youth and finding out which which young guy you can dollar cost average to hang on to and which ones you're going to let go because there's a constant onslaught of new players coming in to fill those positions. So I think we got it wrong with that. You know, I, I, I think that having that having that really strong fundamental um, veteran leadership and, and is a important, very important part to to uh, maintaining the, the cultural support that you need to basically have a successful franchise. Um, that's not to say that certain teams can't do it with younger players, but at the same point in time, I think there, there's, there is just fun. There are just fundamentally things you learn after spending time doing something yeah. you know, that, that is in, of imperative value. And then I think there, there needs to be that disparity between the, the, the older leaders and the younger, like up and coming players. There's cause there was a respect coefficient there that, that made this younger player 
you know, have to embody certain things that were fundamental to just understanding what it was to be a pro for 10 years or 12 years, yeah. you know, and then, and then that person can indoctrinate all of those things and become that athlete. But I don't think it can happen to the same degree without this governing body up here, um, sort of, man, you know, managing these things. Yeah. Mentoring and role modeling. I mean, which is interesting though, which is one of the things that I'm preaching like all the time with the teams I'm working with and my athletes is like, because I mean, I talk to the directors of player development and directors of player personnel, and like the the character, the fabric of that person's character is 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 maybe more relevant now than ever because of what we're just talking about, right? Like if you if you would take Ilya Kovalchuk or Jonathan Taves now in a draft, you would take you would take Jonathan Taves. His ceiling isn't as high from a skill set, but you know what you're getting when he arrives there, right? For sure. Yeah. Like he doesn't need that much wanting to go, right? He's going to lead that team at 21 and, and he's going to do a great job of it. And uh, because there isn't those external forces or as many of them, right? To help, you know, mold and craft and change these players. So like I, I, uh, I do think that, yeah, players are, teams are looking for that more, more maybe than in the past. Like it was all about talent. I shouldn't say all about, but talent was a really high, high, high bar. You know, we're going to take the most talented guy. I think they do a lot more homework now on what these guys are like to, so they can put those pieces in at a younger age because they have to. You you, yeah. you can't run the scally cap now unless your young guys aren't playing on the team, right? They have to. So anyways, it's a pretty wild game, and I couldn't imagine being a GM in today's day and age. You know, it's a, there's a... It's not as easy to just go out there and sign the sign whatever piece you need anymore, right? It's a, it's a definitely a developmental thing. You got to bring in young guys. You have to draft well. You got to make sure you're getting the most out of your players and picking the right personality pieces that are going to support winning culture. And that's uh, that's easier easier said than done. Anyways, we're rolling up on an hour and a half here, and I told you we'd go ninety minutes, and uh, and I th- and I think we have plans of coming back here and maybe going going through a little bit more. So. Um, Tell us a little bit. You put Verbero hockey there. You know, in our last eight minutes here, I'd like to talk about uh, once you got out of the game, you kind of became a serial entrepreneur a little bit. I know that you know you you had the school background, and you you, you if you're not doing something, you you get antsy. So uh, talk about kind of your your arrival there with Verbero and what's Verbero is all about. Yeah, so I. Um... I started developing some intellectual property in the protective space while I was still playing. Uh, I started when I was with the Ducks and and finished up when I was with the Oilers and started working on licensing programs for those those components. And I I started working with 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 Easton and a few other companies. And and when Easton was consumed by Bauer, um, the the program got squashed. So I I, I at that point in time um, went and went and worked for a hockey company. So I was acting president of a company called Wholesale Sports. Inc. For about four and a half years and um uh, during my time there i got to take a look at all facets of it i got to i got to look at manufacturing sourcing and, and production and product development um def, definitely mark marketing and e-commerce and you know even even down to like you know w- you know w- warehouse management i mean i really got to learn a lot of facets of the business and while i was there I was able to invest in uh, some of the acquisitions that occurred while I was there. Uh, the first star brand from from BC was a, a company that I owned for uh, almost four years, and and I was able to uh, to work on that during my time there. And then we acquired Verbero while I was there, um, and I lent some money to the company while I was there on some things and, and managed a lot, uh, wore a lot of hats for that company. Well, I was able to sort of right around the start of COVID. Uh, position some of the assets I have, pull some stuff off the table, and then I left some in behind with the intention to take Verbero outside. 
I always, I always knew I wanted to do some things differently and I needed that time probably to understand the back end side of the business, to be able to really cast for Barrow into a place where it can be successful and into a modern approach. So took a lot of the best bits from Verbero, um, you know, made our carbon fiber skate even better, brought in a 350 gram stick that I was working on with another, with another manufacturer. Um, you know, we built a, built an online software to create team stores, which didn't exist, bought an apparel factory so that we could service apparel, all the game wear, bags, accessories, um, to a really high degree. And then we changed the rep force structure as well. We, we built, we allow our reps to sell anywhere to anybody. They can build their own sub rep forces. So essentially like people that we bring in could be, the, could be the dad that's tired of paying too much, spends all the time in the rink. It could be, could be the, could be the mom that manages the team orders. It could be the manager, the coach, it could be virtually anybody could come in and, and, jo- and join us and then build a, build a team under them. Um, we build, we build custom catalogs for everybody. We build team stores um, for the teams that we approve. And then outside of that, you know, we just really focus on one amazing product per category. We don't uh, we don't try to we don't try to sell um, you know a whole bunch of reskinned products that look the same to hit different price points. Our mission is to have the best product at the best possible price, and we sell player direct to everybody. So from that regard, like we want to put value and performance and innovation in the same sentence without compromise. Um, and that's that's just a relentless pursuit that won't stop. And we're applying it to men's hockey, women's hockey, youth hockey. We're we're really um, I think blowing the doors off. And then making stuff more accessible than it's ever been because our team stores allow allow fans, allow players, allow parents, managers to access the the products with their team's lo- team or organization's logo on them uh, 24-7, 365. So we've got a program that's robust, certainly. It's rooted in in great quality product at great price points. And then make it we want to make it accessible because nevermore is our game probably needed that level of access from an accessibility standpoint and from a cost effectiveness standpoint. So we're trying to uh, we're trying now mostly more than anything just to just to get in front of get in front of people and let them know what we are because it's a it's a paradigm shifting brand. I mean it's different than the than the status quo certainly and and um, we're having great success with it. I mean it's it's been very intuitive to everybody we've spoken to to this point. Awesome. Yeah, it sounds exciting. Yeah, so Vivero.com for people who want to check it out. I do use the stick right now and the gloves and uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely a uh, uh, a campaigner for for the for the brand. I mean, I love the stick. The stick's amazing. Super light, shoots well. It's really durable. Gloves are great, right out of the box. So, I mean, those are the first two things that I've that I've tried. And I think, uh, and I think, uh, you know, if anything, if anything else is like that, it's definitely worth worth trying out. Excited to get my jerseys too. I ordered some jerseys from Andy, so we're going to see for my spring team what they're all about, and I'm sure they're going to be great too. Um, I forgot if we have what time for the one story. Um, Kirk Muller is involved or his daughter is involved in Verbero. And for those of you who know my history, know that I was traded for Kirk Muller um, from, from uh, Florida to, to Toronto, my rookie year. Uh, and so Andy, Andy has a connection to Kirk as well. Like, can you maybe tell that story? We should have talked to, talked, talked about it when you were a teenager there, when we were covering that time in your career, but that's probably a good one to end with. Yeah. So um, we've signed on about, about 20 ex NHLers now. Um, we're really building our team. You know, we've got a lot of the top women involved and, and uh, interestingly, you know, I hadn't talked to Kirk and I, and I always made sure that I bumped into him throughout my career, I played against him a little bit in the end of his career, certainly. And then when he was coaching and in, in affiliated with the game, I'd always go out of my way to say hello. But when I was 16 and 17, 
um, you know, playing junior B and I had, I had, didn't have any money that there was a, there was a really great pro skate in Kingston. And, um, I, I, I basically was, was told by Kirk that I could come and play. And I said, well, I, I don't think I can afford like 250 bucks a week or whatever it was at the time. And he's like, don't worry, don't worry. I've got you. So Kirk actually paid for my summer hockey for, for two summers. Um, and I'm like forever indebted, you know, that was like one of the, one of the most defining moments in my life because I really got to see at a young age what it was like and what it meant to to be with pros like that. And at the time, like we had, we had Kirk, we had Wendell Clark, we had Scott O'Neill, we had Doug Gilmore would skate with us. We had, we had like literally some, some of the, some of the best pros in the game that would, would call Kingston home in the summertime. And we had a skate then that endured beyond that, you know, with the Matt Bradley's and the Matt, Matt Cooks and the, Brandon Conbury's and the, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of all the, all the guys there was, there were so many, you know, um, that, that we had, and we had just an amazing skate. So that was kind of like, you know, the, um, the greatest sort of full circle event with Verbero is I've, I've been reconnecting with, with people I haven't spoken to in 30 years that are now right. you know, on our sales rep force, getting Kirk who brought his daughter on and he's probably bringing his, his son-in-law, Brad Malone on, who's still, still the pro and, uh, the captain in Bakersfield. Um, it's, it's our, our, our program is a, is a beautiful hockey ecosystem because it really is boutique. It's intimate. It's direct. It's intentional. Everything has a rhyme and a reason. And then we're able to connect with people like yourself who have people that have faith in you. And then we're just kind of cascading the word on, on down through our, uh, through our infrastructure. Right. No, that's awesome. What, what was um, just back to Kirk and paying for your stuff? Like what, what, what allegiance did he have to you or why, like, how would that even come about? Why, why would he put, put you under your wing and want to write a check for you? You know, I'll have to ask him that, you know, he, he obviously saw, saw something and maybe it was potential. Maybe it was my eagerness. Maybe I was just really, you know, kind to him and he, he appreciated it and he was making great money and he was captain of the Montreal Canadians. And I, I don't really know, you know, but he saw something in me, I guess that, that, uh, we wanted to give a young guy an opportunity to skate with those pros in the summertime. And, and it was, uh, I mean, if that doesn't happen, well, I don't know what happens. You know, it's like that type of thing. It's, it was a crazy, it was a crazy thing. And I was able to, to learn what it meant to be a pro, you know, to see these guys and how they train and how they skate and do those drills at that speed when I probably wasn't there yet, you know, so it, it, it gave me, uh, it gave me the windows to look through to, to see where I wanted to go and, and, and gave me some of the tools to, to figure out how to get there. And then I think that was, that was a such a founding rooting principle for me in the way that I always treated the players, the man, the managers, the equipment managers, the, you know, the staff, when I, when I played, I was, I always went out of my way to make sure that I, I wasn't the older guy that was, that was not taking care of the young guys. Like I think in the end, I think that was one of the things that kept me around, you know, next extra couple of years, especially in Edmonton there. I think, you know, I became as much a player coach as, as just a player. So in, in the right. end, I, uh, I tried to pay it forward. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a ton of names there, and that's why we'll we'll have you on again. We'll talk more of Ribeiro for sure. And, yeah, I'm just looking at Yannick Trombley I played with there in The Rock, and Convery was my centerman. Eric Belanger was a centerman of mine in, uh, in Lowell. And, uh, anyways, our, obviously hockey is like that, isn't it? You know, you, you don't have to play too many places to have a lot of um, – first connections there so anyways a lot of great names and i love that too then your connection with verbero meeting all these other guys that's what this podcast has done for me is like bringing me back in touch with all these guys i used to play with and i couldn't be more thankful for that uh love that love the conversations and reconnected and hearing the stories and often the stories that you don't you know you, you don't talk about that stuff during your career right like when you're playing with them you're not talking about what the junior league was like or you know what what adversity you went through with a coach or whatever right like to 
to kind of have a little bit of a, a reflection opportunity with some of these players uh, is has been awesome. And so thank you today, Andy. Thanks for everyone who joined in today uh, for 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 Andy's story, uh, for hearing for hearing what it was like to to come to come out of nowhere uh, to be a to be a free agent signing there with San Jose. I'm actually gonna have on Brad. Uh, I mean Brant Myers next week. I played with him in Spokane. So read his book, uh, and we're going to dig into some of that stuff you talked about. Yeah. So um, I was going to maybe ask you a few more questions about him, but anyways, we could, we we could we didn't have to stop if we didn't want to, but uh, but we'll we'll yeah. stop it now. So thanks for everyone for tuning in. We were live here again today on on Facebook for episode fifty five about my hockey. Um, please check out verbero.com. Um, some man he's very passionate about a really good product line, and we'll have him back on here to talk more about that and and uh, and what I'm doing with Andy in that space as well. So uh, thanks again, Andy. Appreciate your time today. My, my pleasure, Pose. Have, have a good one, buddy. Awesome. Thanks again for being here for the entire episode. I love people who stick around to the end uh, because that's what it's all about, you know? <laughs> Not what you do, but it's how you do it. That's why I say my athletes all the time. So uh, if you're going to start something, you might as well finish it. So thanks again for, for sticking around to the end. Andy is, uh, is a great interview, uh, really eloquent in his words. I'm glad I was able to ask him some things that he that he couldn't really remember about his dad behind the bus and all this stuff so he's gonna have some conversations with his dad and perhaps we'll bring him back on but really good stuff as far as mindset concerned as far as using gratitude as a tool uh so so important to practice gratitude in a meaningful way uh you don't just want to dip your toe in the water when it comes to that this is something that helps us navigate life and not to mention our hockey careers so uh, as parents, as coaches, if we can cultivate gratitude and show how we're using gratitude to these athletes in our lives, they are much more likely uh, to incorporate it themselves. Lots of ways we can do that, uh, lots of ways we can benefit from them. One of my uh, masterclass workshop experts and friends, uh, Mike Shaw, uh, came in, in, my, uh, in for my membership group and gave a workshop on gratitude and how he, he delivered in a way that... Uh, he use, uses gratitude as a way to manage resiliency and to make you more gritty. And uh, two words that hockey players really like that, that kind of co coincide more with what people typically think hockey players need, which is to be gritty and to be able to handle re, uh, or to be resilient. Uh, often gratitude isn't something that gets talked about, but, uh, but an, an athlete who can develop gratitude uh, is able to be more gritty and is able to be more resilient and is able to better handle uh, anxiety in the moment. So uh, really good stuff there. I know we talked about other stuff, but gratitude just rings true to me right now and it's been a part of my day, uh, something that I've been trying to cultivate when I wake up and also when I go to bed at night. And it uh, helps with my perspective during the day and how to handle uh, you know, the little bumps and valleys throughout the day. So I uh, hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, once again, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for making Up My Hockey a part of your life and your living routine. Um, I really hope we're providing value. And if you haven't yet uh, given us a, given a me a review there on, on iTunes, uh, we'd love to see it. Uh, it really does help. So, as always, you are appreciated. I am thankful. And play hard and keep your head up. <laughs>